I guess I could do that. That's a great idea. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Good Welcome morning. to the Disciples' House. Please be seated. Hey, guess what Friday night this this Friday? Movie night. Friday the 13th. <laughs> but it's also family movie night, <laughs> where we will not be playing Friday the 13th. We'll be showing a family-friendly movie. <laughs> the doors will open at 530. And uh, and we will have our time of prayer at 6 p.m. and then at 7 p.m. we'll 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 uh, start our movie for for the whole family, our nice clean movie. <laughs> so bring your favorite snacks, drinks, pillows, blankets, and even your comfy chairs if you would like. All right. So but we're gonna have a good time. All right. So up, other upcoming events: uh, October 24th through the 26th is Contending Faith Bible Conference in Branson, Missouri. Uh, you need information for that get with me or miss robbie and we'll let you know where that's at and, and when all right and then november 4th is going to be the ladies shopping trip it's also the day that the clocks fall back so that'll be fun <laughs> <laughs> all right so november 17th will be our family fellowship night at 7 p.m details to to come uh, and then December 16th, Christmas Fellowship. December 25th, we will have an evening Christmas service. Uh, and then April 18th through the 20th, uh, we're going to be going to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum in Kentucky. And, and we'll be celebrating Kathy's yes, birthday. Yes, and we'll be <laughs> celebrating <laughs> Miss Kathy's birthday. Yes, so she'll be going with us. Praise God. All right. And then uh, Generation Life Youth Camp, of course, is coming up in July next year. So please be praying for that and believing for that. All right. And then, oh, and then if you have, uh, if you have not watched uh, Brother Randy's uh, "God Is With Us" video, uh, there's information on how to find it in the bulletin. And we have, uh, uh, is this from the video? We have an insert with some words that he spoke during the video. Oh, the insert is the prophecies that Brother Randy is referring to. I'm sorry, I didn't read the paper completely. Gotcha, okay. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Oh, in the insert, there's a typo. Okay, hopefully it's nothing really. It's obviously it's something glaring, or she wouldn't have mentioned it. <laughs> All right. So, um, so our meditation for this week is uh, our in him is Second John one nine out of the King James. It says, "Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son." You know, there's another scripture that where Jesus says that, that he that loves me will do the things that I commanded. And it goes right along with this one. But our confession, whosoever violates and does not remain in the teachings and instructions of Christ. Ooh, that's a long one. All right. So. Yeah, we might need to do I don't know. Anyways, who, whosoever violates and does not remain in the teachings and instructions of Christ. Does not have God. But I live in and keep the teachings and instructions of Christ. Therefore, I have the Father and the Son. All right. So our healing scripture for this week is Galatians 3.13 out of King James. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. All right. So our confession, Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law, being made a curse for me. For it is written... Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Therefore, I have been redeemed from the curse of the law, which is in Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26. All right. Whew, praise God. Okay. So, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for... You're leading and guiding. We thank you that you will give me and Robbie the words that are just right for those that are here now and for those that are listening online. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you will help us to draw closer to you and, and become more like you and, and to learn to live the way you would have us to live. Lord, we just love you and we want to do the things that you have commanded us to do. And therefore, we come to church, we, we tithe, we, we listen to the preacher, we, we meditate on your word, and we and we follow and we become doers of the word. And Lord, we just thank you for strengthening us and guiding us in this so that we will not become lost and we will not go astray or fall off the path. Lord, because we know that the path is narrow that leads to you and the path is wide that leads to destruction. So we will follow the narrow path and we will keep our eyes on you, Lord, and we will follow you all the days of our life. And we thank you for leading and guiding us in this. In Jesus' name. Satan, we bind you in the name of Jesus. You cannot come to steal, kill, and destroy. We, you must flee in the name of Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Good morning, disciples' house. Let's stand, let's stand up and do our confession together. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
I am the image of God. I am spirit and flesh. I am very good. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am crucified. I am a new creation and a new creature. I am dead to the flesh, but I live in Christ. I am dead to sin, quickened to life, saved by grace. I am buried with Christ by baptism. I am raised from the dead with him. I'll walk in the newness of life. I am forgiven and redeemed. I am an ambassador of Christ. I am the righteousness of God. I am the workmanship of God's hands. I am created and ordained to do good works. I am justified by faith. I am chosen and I abide in Christ. I am holy and without blame. I am predestined for adoption. I am more than a conqueror. I am an overcomer and I am greater. I live, move, and have my being in Christ. I reign as a king in this life. I can do all things in and through Christ. I am near to God by the blood of Jesus. I am raised and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Jesus, I am here to meet with you. Amen. All right. Take two. There is singing at the ancient gates. There's a melody of ceaseless praise. A truth is only growing stronger. There's a throne beneath the name of names. There is seated on it one who reigns and his king. Is here and getting closer. So praise Him like we're there in glory. Here and now, He's just as holy. Jesus, He's so worthy of it all. Ooh. Go on, heaven, speak the Lord. Is wrong? Go wrong? <laughs> Go. Start the verse. Okay. He exists in everlasting life. So on heaven's street there is no night. Every tear is wiped away. Will know no sorrow. Worship him with joyful sounds. Sing it till your voice gives out. No matter where. Or who's around, release your worship. So praise Him like we're there in glory. Here and now, He's just as holy. Jesus, you so worthy of it all. So bring your song, He loves to hear. Every prayer so clear, Jesus, you so worthy 
just as holy, Jesus, Jesus so worthy of it all. So bring your song, he loves to hear. Bring him every prayer so clear. Jesus, he so worthy of it all. Jesus, you are who Oh, 
Oh! 
surrender all to you. For you are worthy. You are certainly worthy of all of our praises. Glory, 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 glory.
Father God. To you be all the honor, all the glory. We sing holy, holy, holy. Father, we just give you all the praise and all the glory. Father, we just worship you. Father, for you are holy, 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 worthy to be praised, the God above all gods. Oh, we do praise you and we cry hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise, praise, praise. Glory to God. Well, you can be seated this morning. Glory to God. Be seated. Be seated. Be seated. Not be seated. We're seated with the Father. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Uh, if you did not get the bulletin, you need to get it because you need the insert, if nothing else. There is a uh, shaking that's coming. Uh, 
I know in our body, in our in our church, in our congregation, uh, there's been a strong pull to prayer. Um, and, of course, the Lord said that Disciples House would indeed be a house of prayer. In fact, every church should be a house of prayer. But that's part of our assignment from heaven is to be a prayer, a house of prayer. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and uh, you remember Jesus, uh, before uh, he went to the cross, if you'll remember, he went to the garden to pray. Before the earth was shaken with his, with his crucifixion, uh, there was much prayer given up. Uh, if you'll remember, before he even went to the prayer, uh, to, to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went up uh, to the Mount of Transfiguration and met with the Father and Moses and Elijah. Um, and uh, remember, he took Peter, James, and John. He took the same ones that were in the garden that fell asleep during prayer time. He took with him to the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, and the reason that those things were occurring is because there was a shaking that was coming. How much do you know uh, the world was shaken when Jesus died on the cross? Uh, the world was shaken. Um, you know, the, the, for all of the known history, uh, the Christians were looked to um, as, I mean, they, you know, no matter what the pagans were doing, they knew and understood that uh, God was with the Christians. And then uh, here come, and, and they knew that there was a Messiah coming. Now, the way in the Old Testament it was understood, what they believed, and this is what humans do all the time, uh, they believed that when the Messiah came, he was going to raise up a natural physical army to take out the natural physical leaders uh, that were oppressing God's people. See, they stayed in the natural um, and didn't think about the supernatural. Uh, but what was shaken was the supernatural, and as a result, the natural was shaken. See, Jesus wasn't concerned with, uh, with natural enemies uh, of God because they were being influenced by supernatural enemies. And how you took care of the natural enemies is you have to take care of the supernatural enemies. And so there was a shaking, and, uh, and, and, and um, Brother Randy has prophesied by the Spirit that there is a shaking coming. There's a shaking coming to the political realm. There's a shaking coming to the economical realm. There's a shaking coming to the church. There's a shaking coming, um, and if, if we, the Christians, are not in place with God, uh, we'll even be shaken. Uh, the word that came forth is that there will be people that will come to the Christians and say, which way do we go? Which way do we go? This thing is going to, how much do you know, when 9-11 happened, America was shaken. And for about, I don't know, two weeks, the churches were packed. For about a month, they were about two-thirds packed. And that by the time the month was up, the shaking had stopped. Well, what's coming is going to be a big shaking. Uh, he even says in there that it looks like the plans of man are going to succeed, and uh, but they will end up falling. But but the assignment for the believer is that we've got to get in position with God, and the only way we're going to get in position is through prayer, is through prayer. Um, 
I want to go to, I, I wasn't planning on going here, but I want to go to, um, so I encourage you to get this prophecy, read it, you know, and here's the deal about prophecy. And uh, in, 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 if somebody prophesies frequently, which Brother Randy does prophesy, but not like, I mean, somebody prophesies like they do, they get, like you go to the grocery store, you need to be leery. Um, because God's not talking that much all the time, at least not in that in that style. And um, hold on, just just a second. I want to look this up because I wasn't planning on going here. Okay. Um, so how you judge prophecy, number one, is you, you have to look at the accuracy of the prophet. You have to look at the accuracy of a prophet. So if a prophet is prophesying, uh, you know, oh, it's going to be wonderful, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and there's not going to be any hardships, and there's not going to be any problems, well, that doesn't agree with the word. Because the word says that we would have troubles and times and tribulations. Uh, trials and tribulations, um, uh, but no, you need to look and see if the prophecies come to hand and come to pass. And they'll say, "Oh, this is going to happen like within three months," and then three months comes and doesn't happen, and they go, "Oh no, no, it wasn't three months; it was three years." You know, just give it more time. Uh, no, it, prophecy. If they've got a record of it coming to pass, then it need, then then that's a prophecy you can stand on. And everything that Brother Randy has ever prophesied has always come to pass. Um, and he, he is talking about future events. Um, but I want us to go to Matthew uh, chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. We are going to talk about anointed to overcome, and this will lay right into it. Um, Matthew 17. I wasn't planning on going here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Well, let's go to verse um, 15, Matthew 17, verse 15. And uh, here a man comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. In other words, he's, he's known to have seizures and convulsions and all kinds of things. He said, for he is a lunatic and is sore vexed. Um, and oftentimes he falleth into the fire and oftentimes into the water. So this, this child is having all kinds of convulsions, all kinds of seizures, um, and, and, you know, will fall into the wells or fall into fires. And, I mean, he's just, this, whatever's causing this is trying to kill this child. Um, and he says, and I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. And then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? 
How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Jesus was annoyed. Jesus was annoyed. Jesus didn't just say, "What, y- y'all, come on, when are you going to get this together? I believe Jesus said this very sternly. I believe that probably fire shot from his eyes, so to speak. I believe that he said it with some force. He said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? In other words, he said, how long are you going to depend on me, O oh me, O oh Lord? In other words, how long, how long is it going to be before you'll take your place and stand up? And Jesus says, and how, he, said, and he said, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? In other words, how long am I, how long am I going to have to be patient with you? That's what he said. How long am I going to have to be patient with you? In other words, his patient, his long suffering was suffering short. And uh, he said, bring him, bring him hither to me. How about you know, that child's probably thinking, oh, Lord, I don't know if I want to go to this man or not. Um, and, uh, and Jesus rebuked the devil. That word rebuke, so many people say, oh, Jesus is so sweet and kind and loving, and Jesus doesn't use a harsh tone or a harsh word with anybody. This word rebuke means to speak sternly and violently. It means to have some get up and some gumption to it. When Jesus rebuked you, you knew it. Uh, Jesus was not soft-toned all the time. Uh, now, he wasn't yelling at the child. He was yelling at the demon that was causing this child to be lunatic and sore vexed. You know, it's kind of like Smith Wigglesworth. People asked him, you know, why do you hit people? He said, I don't hit people. I hit the devil and the people get in the way. Jesus rebuked this devil and the child was just in the way. Uh, how much you know that probably had a lasting opinion? I guarantee you, uh, that child, when it, because that child was standing before Jesus when Jesus rebuked the demon, and that demon would have, and that demon fled. It says Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. In other words, that demon left immediately. Uh, I guarantee you, in that moment, that child went. You know what, <laughs> Jesus, you got some power. Jesus, you got some stuff going on there. It says, and the child was cured from that very hour. Now, isn't it interesting that it says, it says that Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Not from that very minute, not from that very moment, but for that minute, from, from that hour. In other words, this is a little indicator that Jesus had to give that demon a strong rebuke that took more than one statement. Because I just said just a second ago, you know, that he said that and that demon left. Uh, but then, it, but then and, and, I, and I believe that that demon uh, probably kind of pulled back. Or maybe that demon actually showed out. But it says that the child was cured from the hour. More than likely, uh, that, there's a good chance that that child began to convulse. In front of Jesus, and, and began that demon probably try, probably caused that that uh, child to convulse and and to uh, spit and who knows everything else. Um, but notice that it says, and the child was cured from the very hour. In other words, Jesus didn't take no from that demon. Jesus said, 
no, you're leaving. You're leaving. You're leaving. You know, and I and I've and I kind of dealt with this. You know, you'll I, I I've seen this. You'll speak to a demon, and it'll, you know, because we don't know how many demons were in the child. We don't know. Uh, but I've seen it where you'll speak to the demon, and the demon will act like it left, and it's still there. It, it, it'll 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 act like it left, and it was still there. Uh, so you know, we don't we don't know the fullness um, of it. But it says, and he departed out of him. Um, <clears throat> so we don't know how long the rebuking took, but it, it didn't take more than an hour. We do know that. We know it didn't take more than an hour, and we do know that the demon departed. The demon left. The demon left. Uh, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, after everybody dispersed, after the father said thank you, after the son said thank you, after the crowd all dispersed, the disciples came and said, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus, why, why could we not cast him out? Was, it a, was there a, in other words, did they not have the authority? No, they had the authority. Did they not have the power? No, they had the power. Did they not know how to command? No, they knew how to command. They had been casting out demons. They knew what to do. They had been doing it. And uh, Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, because of your unbelief. Uh, I had dealt with demons, and, you know, after you've rebuked them for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes, um, you're, you begin to figure out if you have any unbelief or not, uh, because uh, the, you begin to question, well, is the name of Jesus powerful enough? Is this enough? You know, um, and the devil, uh, Brother Randy, now, I haven't had this happen yet. Uh, and, I, and I just, well, I just assume that it not happen. Uh, but Brother Randy talks about the first time he cast out a demon, uh, that he said, he, he told that demon to come out in the name of Jesus out of this man and uh, that demon grabbed a hold of his vocal cords and began to growl and bark and and, and looked at him real star and kind of contorted his face. And he looked right at he looked right at Brother Randy and said, "You ain't got the power. Come back when you get it." In other words, demons will question your power and your authority. So you have to know who your God is. You have to know who your God is. He said, "Behold, because of your." Uh, unbelief for verily I say to you if you had faith of the grain of a mustard seed uh, remove hence yonder place and it shall be rem and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible for you he said how be it this kind goeth not out but by what by but what prayer 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 and Fasting, prayer and fasting. The only way you're going to learn the fullness of your authority and be able to stand in the fullness of your authority is you've got to spend time in the prayer closet. So there's a shaking coming, and if you don't spend time in your prayer closet, you're going to be shaken. The other, now fasting. Is fasting still for today? Oh, yeah, fasting is still for today. But here's what you need to understand about fasting. Fasting does not move God. Fasting does nothing for God. 
all that fasting does is it trains your flesh that your spirit is the boss. That's what fasting does. So here's the deal. A lot of people, especially around Easter and Lent and what have you, they're going to do like 40 days of fasting chocolate. But they're going to indulge in everything else under the sun. That's not really training your flesh. That's just teaching your flesh you can change, trade one thing for another thing. No, I mean, don't get me wrong, it helps a little, but if that's the only thing you fast all year long, you're not doing anything. A lot of people think, well, I'm fasting, I've heard people say, I've had people say this to my face, I'm, for, I, I'm fasting coffee for 40 days for the Lord's benefit. For the Lord's benefit? How is that going to benefit Jesus for you to go without coffee? It's not. It's not going to benefit. Right, so you can be grumpy and lose your witness? <laughs> no, 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 no. Fasting is for you to get your flesh under control. Because here's the deal. Um, if you fellowship with devils and demons, it's going to limit your authority over them. So if they have control over your flesh, if they can get you to indulge in the things that you shouldn't indulge in, um, then you're gonna, your your uh, authority over them is going to be limited. The other thing is, is if you can't make your physical flesh, your physical body, sit down, shut up, and behave, you ain't going to make a devil do it either. You're not going to. You're not going to. Uh, and and uh, I got news for you. Oh, Lord, I got news for you. Uh, there's a revival coming of casting out devils and demons. It's coming. It's coming. Lord, why you got me saying that? It's coming. It's on the way. It's part of this last day in time move of God. Why? Because a great many people are obsessed and oppressed by demons. Now, let me be very clear. I said obsessed and oppressed. Most people, they see demon activity and they go, oh, my God, they're possessed. Very few of them are possessed. Very few people are possessed. In the grand scheme of things, most of them are oppressed, meaning that they have demons that have attached themselves to them or have moved inside their bodies, but uh, they are not living inside their human spirit. In fact, only one demon can live inside a human spirit, but thousands, listen to me, thousands can live inside the human body. Isn't that crazy? And the devil wants to convince us that we're weak. And the devil wants us to convince, wants to convince us that we're weak. So it's very important in this day, in this hour, uh, that we fast and pray. Um, and uh, why? Because we're anointed to overcome. But in order to actually know that we're anointed to overcome, we got to spend time with Jesus. So let's go to First Samuel, chapter seventeen. First Samuel chapter, actually, let's go to First Samuel chapter 16. I want to pick some, pull something out of here that the Lord, just as we were talking, revealed to me that I've never seen before. Um, I thought, wow, Lord, that's pretty good while I was talking. So First Samuel uh, chapter 16. And if you're wondering where Pastor Mike went, he's actually working. He's actually on fire assignment from home. He's actually helping to administrate over all of the fires over all of the state of Louisiana. 
Um, and it looks like he's going to be doing this all month. So he should be available for our evening services without interruption, but morning services, he may be in and out. Uh, so he's in the house. Uh, he just, he's back there dealing with that right now. Um, and we look forward to the day that God blesses us financially that he doesn't have to do that anymore. Uh, but we thank God for the provision that comes from this job. Uh, Matthew chapter 16 and verse, um, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 16, Matthew. Anyways, 1 Samuel 16 verse 11. And it says, we saw last week that this is where, Saul, uh, where uh, Samuel comes to Jesse to anoint one of his boys to be king. And he looks, at all of, he looks at all of the boys, the seven boys, and he says in verse 11, And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are there, um, are there all thy children? In other words, he's looking at them. They're all lined up. And he said, Are all these thy children? He's like, Is this everybody? Is there anybody left? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he cometh hither. Now notice, I want you to, I want you to kind of make a notation that it says, um, he says, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. He's keeping the sheep. Here's, here's the youngest boy, and he's keeping the sheep. Do you think the sheep talk to him very well? He, the, the sheep are not very conversational. And the, do you think the sheep are real entertaining? No, because what do the sheep do? They pretty well stand in one or two. I mean, they, they slowly walk and they slowly graze. There's not a lot of action happening with the sheep unless something comes near. And then they startle and they run to a new place and they put their head down. And, they, and of course, if that happens, then you got some action because now you're looking for a predator. But other than that, there's not really anything going on out there with the sheep. Uh, not to mention, he's assigned out there for several days. Maybe a week, maybe two. And when he goes out to take care of the sheep, how much do you know? He packs what he can carry for food. How much do you know? David is in a position where he's fasting and praying and talking to the Lord. He's fasting and praying. He's in a position where he's isolated from the entertainment of the world. He's isolated from the hustle and bustle of house life. He's out there with the sheep. And there's not much going on. I mean, you can only be entertained by a bumblebee for so long. You can only count the blades of grass for so long. You can only pitch the rock across the field for so long. Eventually, you're just going to have to say, okay, God, it's just me and you. Let's have a conversation. Let's have a conversation. So this is a really good, so I was talking about this. Uh, well, well, we were talking about, he said, you have to fast and pray. He told Jesus, told his disciples, you have to fast and pray. And then I heard the Lord just drop it down in my spirit. He said, what do you think David was doing with the sheep? Oh, he was fasting and praying. What is that? Well, why is that so important? Because that's what enabled him to take down Goliath. It, it, that's what enabled him was he had spent much time with the Father. He had spent much time talking with the Lord. Uh, so now let's jump over to chapter 17, and we're going to backtrack. We're going to read some of the same stuff we read last week. 
Uh, but there's some things that we didn't point out that I want to point out this week. This is now, in verse 1, it says, of chapter 17, it says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together um, at uh, Shucho, uh, which belongeth to Judah. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Judah is one of the tribes of Israel. So the Philistines are inhabiting the Israel's land. How much do you know devils inhabit our land? How much do you know devils inhabit our earth? And so this is a type and shadow of devils inhabiting our zone. So isn't that interesting that they're inhabiting the land of Judah? Now, wait a minute. That land doesn't belong to them. And, uh, and pitch between Shochu and um, Ezekiel, yeah, that place, in um, Ephesidim, yeah, good luck, right? That's why we need Pastor Mike. He's good with those words. Any case, um, so, but the point is, is, is they're in this vital place of, of um, Judah's or Israelites' land. The enemy has taken over the land. Now, how much do you know that if, if the enemy overtakes your land, you're going to feel a little weak? You're going to feel like maybe you don't measure up. You're going to feel like, well, they've already taken this portion of the land. Why can't they just take it all? So just the placement of where this battle is taking place is intimidating of itself. Just the placement is. How much do you know? We know that we're residents of heaven, but the earth is the only thing we've ever known. And, uh, and then we've come to find out we come into Christ and we find out there's more than just people and animals here. We find out there's devils and demons too. Oh, Lord, this is feeling a little intimidated. How much do you know? They're feeling a little intimidated. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set to battle in array against the Philistines. So they're all, they're all, they've got their armor, they've got their horses, they've got their chariots, they're in battle gear, they're in, they're in their lines, they're ready to go to battle, um, but it just, this, this just doesn't feel comfortable because we're battling on our own land. Um, it's kind of like this in the United States, other than 9-11 in Pearl Harbor, we've never had um, a war on our own territory from outside nations. We did have the Civil War, and that was nation against nation, but ever since our land was developed, has been established, and we broke away from England, um, since that time, there's never been a war on our land, on our territory, um, since that time, other than, and look at what 9-11 did. 9-11 shook the nation. Pearl Harbor shook the nation. Um, both of those events, I don't care how, I mean, if you've been in school for any amount of time, you've heard about both of those events. And, um, you know, Pearl Harbor uh, happened 80 years ago, and it's still just ingrained in us. And uh, it says, and the Philistines stood... <laughs> Now, notice it says that they pitched by the valley. The Israelites pitched by the valley. In other words, they were, down, they were more on the low ground. They were a little bit on the lower ground. And it says, And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and, the Israel, and Israel stood on a mountain 
on the other side. So they did both come up to a mountaintop. But then it says, and there was a valley between them. So in order to come to war, they both have to come down into this valley. Well, coming down into this valley is dangerous, is, 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 is a very dangerous place to get to, especially if one army sets an ambushment against the other army. And what do I mean? Well, you, if you have two armies on two mountaintops and they both cry, if they both give the battle cry and they both begin to charge, but one army only charges just a portion of their people, to get this whole army to charge all the way into the valley. Now, they're in the valley. If that other army comes around from the backside or stays at the top, then they've got them in the hole, and there's nothing you can do. So this is a very dangerous situation that they're in. Um, and there went out a champion. Now, it's bad enough when, uh, you know, you're, you're going to war and you're thinking, well, they've never been to war either. But when you go to war and all of a sudden they bring out a champion, a warrior that's got defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat, um, you know, that's, that's a little intimidating. You know, how much you know, you don't take somebody that's just starting out in the boxing world and put them up against the heavyweight champion of the world. How much you know, that's not going to be a good fight. That's not going to be a good fight. The new guy's going down, and he's going down quick, and he's going down hard. Um, now, let's look at this champion. I want you to think about this champion. It says, the champion um, came out of the camp of the Philistine named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. So they believe that he was nine foot nine inches, right close to that, just short of ten foot. So that's about from the floor to about the ceiling. I mean, I can't even get there, and I'm on a platform, and I'm here, and I can't even get there. So that's about how tall Goliath was. So he was a big dude. Now, he wasn't only tall. You know, when you think, well, to be that tall, he must be real skinny. Now, let's think about this. It says, and he had a helmet of brass upon his head. Now, they believe that um, based off of, Fines and different things and what have you, they believe that his helmet probably weighed somewhere in the vicinity of about 15 pounds, just that that sat on his head. Now, I don't know about y'all, I don't know if you've ever tried to put 15 pounds on your head. Uh, Derek, Miss Ann, and I have these workout balls that we use at the pool that are 10 pounds, and we've started kind of putting these things over our head and kind of doing this, and every once in a while you want to take a break and just kind of rest it right here. And I'm telling you what, 10 pounds just resting with a little support is heavy enough. But can you imagine walking around with a 15-pound helmet on your head? I mean, that's, that's a, that way you down, just 15 pounds on your head. And it says, um, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and, uh, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. So really what this thing was is that was the best way they could describe the armor that we would understand it. Uh, but this armor was basically chains uh, weaved together. Actually, really what it was is it looked like fish scales that were waved together, that, that were weaved together, like, uh, and, they were, and each scale was basically made of brass. Um, on the light side, that armor weighed about 125 pounds. 
On the heavier side, it weighed at close to 160, close to 160 pounds. It says, and then he had uh, graves of brass upon his legs. These are armor, uh, sh uh, leg armor or shin armors. They protected his shins. And they estimated that those weighed about 30 pounds, about 30 pounds. And then it says, and the staff of um, his spear was like a weaver's beam. Now, we looked up this weaver's beam. What a weaver's beam is, is it's a very thick rod. It's a very thick rod. It goes across the top of a, weave, of a, of a long weaver's rack, and that's where the tapestries would hang from as they weaved them. So it had to carry a lot of weight. Now, there's some, there's some differences about the length of the spear. Some people say that the spear wouldn't have been more than 10 to 12 foot in length to help counterbalance the spearhead that weighed about 15 pounds. It says that the spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron, which is about 15 to 17 pounds, depending on the time and year. And um, so in order to counterbalance that 15, that 15 to 17 pounds, they say that staff couldn't have been more than 10 to 12 foot long. So just a, the same height as Goliath or maybe just a hair higher. Now, other people have looked at it and said, uh, according to the way they made staffs for a normal size five to six foot man, uh, in order for the percentages to be about the same, they said that his staff could be as much as 25 to 27 foot long. However, at 25 to 27 foot long, they tend to think that the weight of the spear and the length of the rod would cause it to, to kind of flex and be unreliable as far as targeting. In either case, they figure that this, that between the staff and um, between the, the between the weaver's beam and the uh, arrow and the spearhead itself, uh, and again, they figure that that rod was probably about that big around, is about how big they think the rod was. Um, they figure that 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 thing weighed close to 37 pounds, 37 and a half pounds. Um, so at this point, oh, hold on, we're not done. Oh, I forgot one. I missed part of one. Go back to verse 6. And it said, and he had graves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. Now, last week we misexplained this. Michael thought it was back here, this, this back shield. Um, and there is a portion of a back shield, but that's really not what this is. The technical name of this thing is a uh, go-get. G-O-R, a gorget, I'm sorry, a gorget, G-O-R-G-E-T, a gorget. And what it is, is it's this thing that fits over the shoulders, but it's got a collar that protects the whole neck. So basically he had a helmet that covered his head with a piece that came down, down across his nose. The shield probably covered his cheeks as well. He had this gorget on that covered his neck and his shoulders. He had this chain mail that covered his chest. Uh, 
he had um, these shin guards, and then he had this spear. So really, the only the only area that seemed like maybe you had a target was like from the waist to the knees. But oh no, they took care of that too. They took care of that too. Um, this this throat covering they figured weighed close to 30 pounds or more. 30 pounds or more. So at this point, Goliath's armor, just his armor alone, was somewhere between 168 and a half pounds to, I mean, I'm sorry, 200, 268 and a half pounds to 275 pounds. He's carrying almost 300 pounds of armor, and yet he can still move and fight. He's a big dude. He's very, he's not, we're not talking 10 foot string bean that can't move, that doesn't have any agility. No, we're talking 10 foot massiveness. He's got almost 300 pounds of armor on. And then it says, this cracks me up. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm a very visual person. And it says, and one bearing a shield went before him. Now, here's Goliath way up here. And here's this person. Are you getting the picture? Do you see where this person probably stands? Do you see about where he probably comes to on Goliath? How much, you know, he's about waist tall, maybe a little shorter, and he's got a shield. I want to know who volunteers for that job. Who volunteers to be the one that carries the shield at waist height for a giant? Who does that? Is this, a, is this like, I, I don't know if this is a good job or a bad job. Because you've got to think about it. He's got that long stride. And you've got to get that shield out in front of him and maintain it in front of him the whole time. Or you're going to get taken down by him. And I think if you trip Goliath, he's not going to be pleased with you. So uh, who takes that job? Uh, this is a serious job. How many, so, so what we understand is anybody, so a warrior is going to look at this man and try to figure out where can I get a hit in. And there's nowhere to get a hit because he's completely covered in metal. And there's nowhere to get a hit because he also has a shield, a, a buckler. It doesn't say that here, but any, but any, any man of war is going to have a shield so we know that there has to be a shield somewhere, a buckler shield, if nothing else, which is the small shield that you put on your arm. So we know that, that he at least had that. So that's going to add some more weight to him. Um, so how much do you know? Goliath looks very intimidating, very, very intimidating. How much do you know the mountains that the, that the devil puts up in front of you is very intimidating? How much do you know they're very intimidating? When the devil, Brother Randy, Brother Randy got a phone call from a minister one time, and uh, he said, Brother Randy, he said, yeah, and they, you know, he said, listen, he said, Brother Randy said, okay, he said, I've been praying, he said, okay, he said, I've been praying for you, he said, okay, well, good, I appreciate you praying for me, he said, brother, he said, let me tell you something, he said, okay, 
And Brother Randy responded, said, okay, well, brother, tell me what, what is it? He said, Brother Randy, he said, I've been praying for you. He said, I saw that devil that you're up against. And Brother Randy said, you did? He said, yeah. He said, I saw that devil. He said, well, all right. Well, okay, so you saw him. He said, Brother Randy. He said, yeah. He said, I don't know how you're going to whip him, but you're up against a big one. That's all he had to tell him. He said, he said, I don't know how you're going to whip him, but you're up against a big one. Well, thanks for that phone call. Thanks for that phone call. Thanks, thanks. Like, I didn't know it. Like, I didn't know it. He said, but brother, I'm praying for you. I'm pr- I don't know how you're going to come through, but I'm praying for you. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Listen, sometimes there's big devils up against us. And how how you going to beat them? Well, we don't know. In any case, verse 8, it says, And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle array? Am I not a Philistine uh, that you serve uh, and you are servants of Satan? Choose you a man of, and choose a man for you and let him come down for me, down to me. In other words, the devil always wants to take you on one-on-one. The devil always wants to isolate you, isolate you. And he likes to taunt you. And he likes to talk to you about, oh, how big uh, your God is. How much do you know? He's like, because uh, he said, aren't you, aren't you part of Saul's? Because remember, Saul had killed thousands. Saul had killed thousands and thousands. And, and everybody was afraid of Saul. But the Philistines didn't know that God wasn't with Saul anymore. Uh, so he's going, he's like, who am I? I'm just a Philistine that serves this fake God, uh, and you serve the God of Saul. Who, who am I? So good to have you back, honey. <laughs> and uh, he said, so he's, he's kind of taunting them. How much you know the devil will taunt you? The devil will tell you, oh, you can get away with it. Who, you, you've got God on your side. It'll be okay. He'll carry you through. Listen, that's dangerous. And verse 9, we're in 17, 9. All right. Uh, he said, if you be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants? But if I prevail against him and kill him... Then shall you be our servants and serve us. Let me be very clear. The devil is never going to serve you. You can command him to return sevenfold of what he stole, but other than that, he's not going to work for you. But if you allow him to whip you, you will work for him all the days of your life. So you've got to learn to stand up. You've got to learn to get in your prayer closet. You've got to learn to study on your authority. You've got to learn. Listen. You've got to learn to always speak the truth. We're taking a side of journey here. Your authority, your power, your might, your ability is based on the words that you speak out of your mouth. If you speak lies, even little white lies, if you speak things that you do not believe, see, the problem with a lie is you know it's not a truth and you know it can't be believed. I can walk around all day long going, oh, the, the grass is pink, the grass is pink, the grass is pink. 
And I can say it so long that I begin to believe that the grass is pink. But does that make the grass pink? Nope. It doesn't make the grass pink. And the other problem that it does is it makes me know that the words that I speak have no power. It also makes the people that are listening to you know that the words you have are have no power. Have no power. So if the devil is always hearing you lying, and you go to him and you say, Oh, devil, you get out of here in the name of Jesus. He goes, you ain't telling the truth. I ain't got to go. He goes, you think the grass is pink. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to listen to you. So it matters what you say. It does matter what you say. Yes, it does. And and the main thing you got to remember to say to Satan is, no, I'm not following you. I'm mm. following Jesus. I'm following Jesus. I'm doing what he says is right, and I'm going to do the things that he says is right, and I'm not doing what you're whispering. Yep. So go away in Jesus' name. You've got to learn to call the devil on his lies. Listen. You gotta call you gotta learn to call him on his lies. Well if you call him on his lies, he's gonna call you on your lies. That's another reason why you can't lie. So when the devil says, Well what if the word doesn't work? Oh no. The word works for those that work it. Shut up, Satan. See, telling the devil no is, is one of the hardest things you'll ever do and it's also one of the easiest, easiest things you'll things. ever do. Yeah, once because, you learn because because it's hard to, to step out of what's what the world has taught you to stay in. It's right. It's hard to do that. But once you do it, and once you keep doing it, once you make it a habit, it, it's really nothing. It's nothing. Now, check out verse 10. Now, when we read this word Philistine, I want you to think of the devil. Look at this. Verse 10. He says, And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. How much you know that's what the devil says every day? I defy the God. I defy God, and I defy the believer. Uh, every day. He's going to come against you every day. He's going to defy you every day. How much you know if you're dealing with an unruly child, if you just quit and give up and let the child have its way, how much you know that child is going to tear your house apart? He's going to tear that child, that unruly, defiant child is going to tear your family apart. When you have a defiant child, which we tend to see this real well at the age of two, two and a half, three, this is when they start to get their own little flesh going, and, and uh, they learn the word no, what it means, but, they, but they, uh, they don't like to listen to it. How much do you know? If you don't get that child under control at that point, you're going to have a problem with that child for the rest of your life. Yep. I had a cousin uh, that was raising her daughter, and they were living with us for a little while, and every time I turned around, I was disciplining this child, and they never would. And I looked at her one day, and I said, what is wrong with you? Why will you not discipline your child? And she looked right at me and she said, and her child was about four or five at this point, I think. And uh, she looked at me and she said, oh, no. She said, uh, she's a child and you don't discipline children. I said, what do you mean you don't discipline children? She said, they're children. They need to just, just have free reign. I said, at what point do you think you're going to start disciplining this child? They said, mm, probably eight or nine. And she's getting ready to go into grade school, kindergarten, first, you know, head start. I said, what are you going to do when she breaks the rules at school? Oh, that's the school's problem. Oh. I said, uh, I got news for you, boo-boo. If you're going to live in this house, you're going to start disciplining your child or you can find a new place to live because we're not having unruly children in the house. I said, because if you think you're not going to put your foot down until she's eight or nine, 
uh, you're never going to control her, especially when she gets in a teenager, because you're training her now that she can do whatever she wants. Well, how much you know? When you let the devil run rampant over you, you're, ta- you're training that devil that he has full authority over your life. Listen, when you don't take authority over the devil, you're training that devil to control your life. Do you hear me? You gotta, you gotta get a hold of them devils. See, cause yeah, we all go, we all run and shout, woo, praise the Lord, Jesus has assigned angels to me, but the devil has assigned demons to you too. And just like you've got to tell your angels what to do according to the word, you've got to tell them demons what not to do according to the name of Jesus. And uh, so he said, so this, this Philistine, the mindset of this Philistine is I'm going to defy all Christians this day. That's his mindset. That's just the way he's going to be. You cannot. I had another person talk to me one day. She was talking to me about she's got these ghosts in her house. I said, honey, you ain't got ghosts. You got demons, familiar spirits. They're demons. And she said, well, they're my friends. I said, honey, they're not your friends. They're out to still kill and destroy your life. And she said, are you sure? And I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I said, they're out to defy you and kill you. That's what they're out to do. He said, give me this man that we may fight together. How much you know the, de- the demons are constantly saying to Satan, who's my assignment? Who's my assignment? Give me this man that I may fight against him. Listen, this is why Jesus said you're going to have tests, trials, and tribulations. Amen. Oh, but when you know the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when you understand that he gave you all of his authority, this is not a scary thought. Uh, let's read verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. How much do you know? When the Christian hears the devil's coming to get you, they run. Uh, Dad Hagen was praying with a man one time, and uh, Dad Hagen got over there to bind and devil, bind and Satan, and talking and telling Satan what he wouldn't do and what he wouldn't do, and this and that and the other. And the man perked up and said, "Brother Hagen, Brother Hagen." He said, what? He said, I wouldn't pray that way if I were you. He said, why not? He said, Brother Hagin, he he said, the way you're praying, he said, the devil might hear you. And Dad Hagin said, good, (laughs) that's who I'm talking to. Listen, he said, oh, I wouldn't get that. He said, you have the devil running after you. He said, no, I ain't going to have the devil running after me. I'm going to put the devil on the run. Amen. Listen. But this Philistine was talking big, and he what was he doing? He was causing, he was like, they were like this preacher man who said, Oh, don't talk to him that way. He's going to come after you. No, see, because they got dismayed and greatly afraid. When you're down, when you're depressed, when you're dismayed, when you're in fear, it's because you're listening to the devil. And they lost sight of who they are and who their God is. Yes. So if you're battling these issues, it's because you're thinking the wrong thoughts. You're talking, you're, you're having a conversation with the enemy. You're having a battle in your mind, and you're losing the battle. You've got to stand up like David does here in a few minutes. Yep. Let's read on for a little bit. Now David, the son of the Ephorite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, 
And he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. So Jesse, so Jesse was basically a man of renown. He was too old for war, uh, but he had some stature in the day of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Elab, the firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shema. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. Or, yeah, followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now, where's David at? He's in Bethlehem. What's he doing? Feeding the sheep. He's feeding the sheep. So what, so what does that mean? That means that he's spending time with God. He's fasting and he's praying and he's getting alone with God. David is in his prayer closet. That's where David is. David's seeking the Lord. Verse 16, and the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. So how long was David out there with the sheep? At least 40 days. At least 40 days. At least 40 days. Uh, Miss Kathy's our hiker. Is he eating a whole lot if he's out there with them sheep? He's not eating a whole lot. He's fasting some meals. He's not doing He's He's out there fasting. He's seeking the Lord. Uh, doesn't this sound like Jesus? In the wilderness? Absolutely. Remember when Jesus came out of the wilderness, he whipped the devil? Remember? Well, guess what? So does David. How are we going to whip the devil? We're going to have to go get in our prayer closet for about 40 days in prayer and fasting. Well, but I've got a job. I've got things. I've got a house I've got to take care of. I've got stuff I've got to do. Well, I understand that. But you can, you can fast here and there. You can pray here and there, and here's the deal. You can, how, about, how about you fast your TV for 40 days and spend that time in your word? How about you fast your entertainment for the week for 40 days and spend that time praying in the Holy Ghost? How about you fast your family time and spend the time with the Heavenly Father? You know, uh, how much you know, you put your flesh down on the things that you enjoy and take that time because that's biblical prayer. Here's biblical prayer. Whatever you are fasting, rather it's food, when you fast a meal, it's not that you don't take that time. It's not that you just work through lunch. No, when you fast your lunch, you're supposed to take your lunch time and go spend that time with the Father. When you fast your breakfast, that doesn't mean you get to sleep in an extra 30 minutes. That means you get up at the normal time and you spend that time with the Father. Amen. That's what that means. Right. And uh, so here David is. He's out there for 40 days fasting and praying. Well, I think if you're going to go up against Mr. Goliath, this carrying 300 pounds of armor, uh, and he's got a dude with a shield in front of him, and there ain't nothing but metal between you and him. I think you're going to need to do some serious fasting and praying. Let's be honest. Yeah, you're going to have to have some faith now. All right, let's keep going. All right, verse 17. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp. To thy brethren. So take them some, they've been out there for 40 days. Take them some food. They're running out of supplies. And carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand. 
and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Take their pledge. I had to look that up. In other words, uh, get something for them, from them that helps me to know that they're alive and that they're okay. Bring me a surety that they're alive, that they're okay. Bring me their pledge that they're alive. Verse 19. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth for the fight and shouted for the battle. Now, when it says the trench right there, I was like, now, wait a minute. I thought they were on a mountaintop. What it means when it says the trench, it's the place of the carriages. And I thought, what in the world does that mean? It's the place where all of their uh, chariots and wagons and all of that were parked. He came to the gathering place of the men. But the men had left all their wagons and supply carts. Basically, he had come to the camp is where he had come. Uh, and then uh, the men were out in front of that, standing on the mountain, all dressed for war. And they're having a, they're having a verbal battle. They're having a verbal battle. They're not having a physical battle. They're dressed up and ready for war, but they're just, what are they doing? They're speaking. They're speaking. How do you win your battle with the devil? By the words of your mouth. It says Amen. that they're at battle, but are they actually taking out their swords and fighting? Nope. No. They're, they're just shouting. standing on the mountaintop shouting to each other. Guess what? Every now and again to get past the devil, you're going to have to stand on the mountaintop and shout at him. Every once in a while, you're going to have to just shout at him and say, Oh, shut up, you old foul devil. I'm not listening to you anymore. Just shut up. <clears throat> All right. 21. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name. This is so funny. This is, when you read the prior verses, it says they're in battle. They're in battle with the Israelites. They're arrayed. And here comes little punky David. And David's running through the troops looking for his brother. And then he gets, finds his brothers in and amongst the troops. And he begins to talk. How's it going? What's happening? Are we getting ready to go? Are y'all getting a charge? What's happening? They're like, dude, we are dressed for battle. We are getting ready to fight. And he's like, but come on, what's happening? He's trying to get the 411. He's trying to find out what the deal is. And he's running around in the middle of the soldiers who are all fixing to run at these Philistines. At least he thinks that's what's fixing them to happen. How much you know? People will run around and all. You could be in the battle of your life and people are all just going about theirs. Right? These people are in the battle of their life. And here comes a family member just in the middle going, what's going on? How are you doing? Is everything okay? Is everything all right? No, everything is not all right. Do you not see that I'm in the battle of my life right here? We're all fixing to die. Really? How much do you know that's what happens in day-to-day -day life? How much do you know? All right. Verse 23. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines. And spake according to the same words, and David heard them. How much do you know? When this little family member comes up, hey, what's going on? What you got going on? Well, how's this happening? How's that happening? How's this doing? How much do you know? The champion comes out and starts 
yapping in your ear. He'll even use them to yap in your ear. You know, if you're dealing with sickness and disease, your family's like, well, how you feeling? Well, how, what do the doctors say about this? Oh, that's not a good report. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, how are they going to treat it? Oh, I've heard that like 70% of people that go through that don't survive. How much do you know? They're talking on behalf of the champions who you write about now. How much do you know? Or you're trying to have pleasantries with them, and you're just trying to be nice to them. And meanwhile, the devil's in your head going, you're going to die. You're going to die. Oh, don't you feel that pain? I mean, you're just, oh, just keep that smile, and don't let them know just how sick you are, because this sickness is going to kill you. How much do you know? Or, or you're standing there talking to them, and, and, they, and, and you're, in your mind you're thinking, oh, gosh. A record truck drives by, and you think, Oh, please tell me you're not coming for my car. Oh, they're coming for you. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming to evict you. Ooh, when you get home, there's going to be that eviction notice on your door. How much, you know, those, the, the champions in your ear while you're trying to talk to this little punky kid that's all up in your business. Come on. How much, you know, here's the, here's the champion. And uh, look at what it says. Uh, and at the end of verse 23, and spake according to the same words. In other words, this champion says the same threatening, has the same threats over and over and over and over and over. For 40 days, this Philistine has been taunting them with the same lies. We're going to, I'm going to take you down. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to kill you. You're going to be slaves for the rest of your lives for 40 days. That's so, all they've heard. So having been in the army, I can kind of imagine this, this, this scene. You know, David's in there talking to his brothers, and they're all standing in formation waiting to go to battle and stuff. And Goliath comes out, and he, and he pronounces, hey, send somebody out to fight me. And, you know, whoever wins, the other side will will, will capitulate and the other side will will serve you all the days of your life or or you'll serve us all the days of your life so so he says send somebody out and all of a sudden every 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 man in the israelite army takes one giant step backwards yeah and there's yeah. poor little david standing there by himself yeah. going what just happened wait a second i'm the youngest guy here the smallest guy here and i've got i'm not even dressed for battle what the heck? And he's standing here wondering what's going on. And then he turns around, and not only have they taken a step backward, but they ran off. Yeah. And he's like, wait uh, a second, there's something sadly wrong here. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a perfect picture. All right, let's keep going. <clears throat> and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. They all ran away. He's exactly right. They all ran away. <laughs> Listen. You will never outrun the devil. Have you ever heard people say, well, the devil's got me on the run? You're never going to outrun him. He's a spirit being. You're not going to outrun him. The only way that you're going to take the devil down is to confront him. The only way you're going to overcome fear, being dismayed, being discouraged, being in depressed, being, the only way you're going to overcome the issues of life is to confront them. You're not going to, you're not going to overcome them by running away. All right, verse 25. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches. But here, here, here's the promise of God. 
Here's the promise of God. If you'll take on those that defy God, God will enrich you. That's the promise of heaven. If you will take on, if you'll stand in your authority, if you'll stand in your God-given power, might, and dominion, if you'll do what God has called you to do, there's a promise that God will enrich you. And not just a little, but a lot. All right. The king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So no more taxes for his father's house. Well, I don't want to. I don't want the king's daughter. Well, he'll give you. In other words, what he's saying is he'll give you family. He, if, well, my family. Listen, my family hates God. They won't serve God. Quit. Hold, quit trying to hold on to them. Pray for them. You're not gonna. You're not gonna be the one that's gonna save them anyways. You have no. You have no power to rescue them anyways. Pray for them and be a living example to them from a distance. But don't get back into bondage with them. Don't go back into that lion's den. Don't go back in. Listen, if they're serving the devil, why you want to hang out in the devil's den? Don't do that to yourself. And, and here's the thing. God's not asking you to fight the devil. He's just asking you to stand against him and <laughs> say he's no. He's God promises beaten. that the battle is his. And all yeah. we have to do is show up and stand, and he'll fight the battle for us. Yep. But we have to stand. If we turn and flee... The battle's already lost. So if you will do what God's called you to do, God will enrich you with riches. He will give you a godly family, and he will make your, he will make your father's house or your house free. And, 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 I mean, you'll be free. You'll get to walk in freedom. There's nothing better than walking in the freedom of Christ. Verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistine? And taketh away the reproach from Israel. Yes. When you don't stand up against the devil, then you are allowing, you're bringing a reproach upon God. What is reproach? Shame. You're bringing shame upon God. See, this Philistine's out here mocking the children of, the children of God, and they're letting him. No. You've got to stand up to the devil and say, uh-uh, my God is bigger. Amen. My God is bigger. No, you old foul devil. My God is bigger. My God is bigger. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, don't forget what I said last week about the uncircumcised Philistine. He said, this Philistine, this servant of Satan is outside of the covenant and he's coming to defy our God. Who is this uncircumcised, outside of the covenant, servant of Satan that thinks he's bigger and better than, he, than us who serves the living God? Listen, you, now, now, I don't recommend you talk like that to people that don't understand that language. Uh, but at the same time, you've got to stand up and say, no. See, because the world's watching you. The world sees more than you think they see. They know more than you think they know. And we as Christians, because we won't have this tenacity to say, oh, no, we're not putting up with that nonsense. Oh, no, we are living clean and our God is going to be on and our God is on our side and he's going to defend us. Oh, no, we ain't doing that. 
It's amazing to me on social media how many people will get on social media and go, oh, God's not going to put up with that. Oh, God's not going to put up with that. And oh, God's not going to put up with that. And on the very next text, on the very next post, they're cussing and they're promoting drinking and sexing and everything else. I'm like, dude, you're making a mockery out of our God. Either you're for him or you're against him. Absolutely. Come on. Take the approach away from, our, from, God, from, from the Christian. Stand up. Come on. Verse 27. And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Elab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Elab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the haughtiness of thine heart. Now we know why Elab wasn't chosen. Now we know why Elab wasn't chosen. Because Elab is accusing David of the problem that Elab himself has. He says, you're full of pride. No, Elab was full of pride. Elab was the one that had naughtiness in his heart. And he's accusing David. Now we know why the eldest wasn't chosen. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, what have, what now, or what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he, and he turned from him towards another. So he turned right away from his oldest brother and spake the, in the, after the same manner. And the people answered him again, again after the former manner. So he basically said, I ain't even listening to you. I'm going to go ask these people what's Listen, going on. Listen, when people come up against you with accusations, when the devil comes up with accusations against you that are not true, don't give it any time. Don't take the bite. Don't take the bite. Don't, don't even carry, do not carry it in your mind even. David, what did David do? I mean, this could be the devil that could talk to you. And David showed us because really it was the devil speaking through his brother. And what did he do? He looked at him and said, what have I done now? Knowing he didn't do anything. And he turned his back and said, now let me go about the father's business. But so many people hear an insult and they go, oh, maybe I am prideful. Oh, maybe I do have naughtiness in my heart. Oh, I had, no, don't do that. Turn your back and keep going. Verse 31. And when the words were heard, which David spoke, they rehearsed them before Saul and he sent for them, for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Keep going. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. So he's trying to remind everybody of who they serve. And and he's and Saul had said, you know, you're you're not proven. You're 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 just a yes, you're a young man who's who's a young strapping man, but you haven't ever fought a battle, you haven't even ever worn armor. Goliath over here, he's he's however years old, but he's been fighting ever since he was your age. That's right. And he's, he's lived in his armor. 
yeah. and he he's a he's a proven soldier. You can't go against him. You're going to lose. But David's pointing out, I've done things that are just as powerful and just as mighty without armor, just my God. That's and right. I count on my God, and I know that he will stand beside me. That's right. David's rehearsing his victories. Listen, from time to time, you need to rehearse your victories. You need to pull out your victory journal and go, God took care of me there. 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 And as you go through that, you also remind yourself what you did to get the victory. Because you did something to get the victory. You applied faith or you wouldn't have gotten the victory. How did you apply your faith? Did you apply it by speaking to the devil and standing in your authority? Did you apply praise and worship? Did you apply an action? Or did you apply a combination? What did you do? Because you notice David said, I smote the lion and I grabbed him by the beard. He was rehearsing what he did to get that victory. I don't know very many soldiers that would grab a lion by the beard. I just don't. That's 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 not something that normally comes up. <laughs> so, Back in their day, it was pretty common, but in our day, not so much. All right. So verse 37. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. Notice that David knows that God is his deliverer. You ha- Here's the deal. So many people fail to get their victory because they're looking at me, oh Lord, me. They're looking at what can I, my, what can I do, what can myself do, what can me do. What can I do in my own might, power, and ability? How can I overcome? David never looked at self. David put his eyes on God and never took his eyes off of God. And David said, my God delivered me and my God will again deliver me. Every devil you come up against, you've got to say, because here's the deal. It ain't one devil you've ever whipped in your life that you that you did it in your own might, power, and ability. Absolutely not. But every devil that you've whipped in your life, you've done it through the name and the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so you've got to remember, Jesus is your deliverer. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put, on, he put in a helmet of brass upon his head. He also armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword about his, uh, upon his armor, and he, he tried or essayed to go, but he couldn't, for he had not proved it. In other words, David is like, I can't, I can't fight in this stuff. Here's the deal. Too many people come to a good church service. They hear a good message. The preachers practice, if, if they're a good minister, whoever they are, if they're a good minister, they practice what they preach. They've built their faith. And too many believers try to go out on that minister's faith and to get the same accomplishments, and you're not going to do it. You've got to start where the minister started. We didn't start tithing where we're tithing we didn't i mean tithe is 10 percent, but we didn't start with sewing where we're sewing we started sewing with the nickel with the pennies the nickels and the dimes and now we're up to the 50, the 25s 50s and hundreds well praise the lord it won't be long we'll be to the thousands of sowing seeds glory to god uh we didn't start with uh getting miraculous chainsaw injuries healed and getting knuckles to grow back no we started with a headache and a scratch and a cut we started we didn't start out with our bank accounts full we started with our bank accounts empty 
you know, you've got to start where you are. And David said, listen, I've not proved this armor. Listen, you've got to get your own revelations. And the only way you're going to get in revelations is through time in the word, through prayer, through study, and through working the word. You have to work the word on your level. Let's keep going. All right. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. David took them off, uh, put them off of him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had. Okay. These five smooth stones. There's a lot of different variations of what people believe the five smooth stones are. They believe, some people say that there are five scriptures. All you need is five scriptures promising you what you need, what you're going to need, and you just meditate on those five, and it'll put you over and beat the devil every time. Well, there is a truth that you don't need 6,000 scriptures, but you don't need five either. You just need one or two that'll put, and meditate on them until you get over. Another person said that these five stones represent, and I think this is probably closer because this is, um, you know, David and Goliath, we now know and understand that this is a type and shadow of the devil versus the church. So many people think, uh, believe, and I think that this is probably true, that the five, that the five stones represent the, five the, the fivefold office. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. Um, and, and it's not that the, but here's the problem with a lot of these teachings. A lot of these teachings say the fivefold can overcome the devil. No, it's the teachings that you receive from the fivefold. It's the, it's the teachings that you grab a hold of. It's the teachings that you go, oh, okay, so I just need to, I just need to be a doer of the word. That's, and, so, and so that drops down your heart, and you start working to become a doer of the word. That's a stone in your bag. Oh, Jesus said that whatever I bind on earth is bound in heaven, and whatever I loose on earth is loosed, or whatever I loose in heaven is loosed upon the earth, if I know that he's the Messiah. Well, I know he's the Messiah, so now I have binding and loosening power. That's a stone in your bag. So, so I, you know, these stones could be your revelations of who your God is. And most of your revelations come through sitting under a good teacher and then taking that teaching and going and meditating on it in your private time and getting that revelation to drop down on the inside. But David has these five smooth stones in his shepherd's bag. Even Now, it says even in a script. And I had to go look that up. So David has a little bag inside of his shepherd's bag. A script is considered a wallet or small purse. Like a purse. So think about it this way. This body is your shepherd's bag, but your spirit is your script. Cool. Your spirit is your script. It's your wallet. It's your purse. It's where your personal things go. So in his spirit, he's got these five stones down in his spirit. Come on. All right. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth and ruddy and fair of countenance. So he was a pretty boy. 
David was a David was a pretty boy. He was young and he was a pretty boy. <laughs> That's what he was. And this Philistine, this warrior, this man of <laughs> here's little ruddy David. Ruddy means fair skinned, red headed, but good looking. Here's little scrawny David. And and um, how much do you know the devil despises the devil despises mankind. Because he looks, because he's a spirit being with spiritual power, and he looks upon the human race and our weakness and our frailty, and he goes, really? This scrawny, weak human is going to take me down? Oh, you better believe it. Oh, you better believe it. You better believe it. And the, yeah. and the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? Which staves are sticks. He called so, David a stick. So, so my dog that you're coming after me with a stick to shoo me off, basically is what he's saying. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. <laughs> David, now let me tell you what. Notice it says David cursed. David cursed this Philistine by his gods, his little g gods. In other words, David started using his. You know how people like to use GD. You know, for you know, they like to they like to curse us with our God. Well, David reversed it, and he was cursing them with their God. He was calling Zeus. He said, he said, by Zeus, blah 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 blah, by whatever, huh? Yeah, the Philistine was cursing David. Oh, I'm David. sorry. You got it. Backwards. I'm sorry. I had it backwards, but still, it was good, wasn't it? Still, it was good. Sorry, my bad. And the Philistine cursed David by his, I was by his gods. In other words, the little G gods, in other words, the Philistine was calling on his gods to do something about David. Exactly. That's what I should have said. I'm sorry. I got excited. David's just crazy. He's just, he just makes me excited. All right. All right. 44. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. In other words, I'm going to kill you. I didn't mention where he said, am I a dog? Uh, that word dog in their language means a male prostitute to the pagan gods. In other words, he's basically, and I'm, I'm not being ugly, I'm not being rude, I'm just saying what Goliath was saying. Goliath was basically saying, am I a weak little gay person that you're going to come at me with a stick? That's really what he was saying. Uh, you know, he basically, am I a little, he basically, he basically he's saying, am I a little fairy or a tinkerbell that you're coming at me with a stick? That's the way he was saying it in our vernacular. Okay. 45. Then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of armies, of, uh, a God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. He's going. So he came to him in the name. That's right. That's right. Look at that. He says, I come, verse 45, he says, I come in what? In the name. In the name. How do we come against the devil? In the name. In the name. See, God's plan hasn't changed. God's plan hasn't changed. Goliath was defeated in the name of God, and today the devil is defeated in the name of God. 
Come on, in right. the name of Jesus. This day will the Lord deliver thee unto my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Glory and all his and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saith or saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you unto our hands. This verse, verse forty six and forty seven, sounds an awful lot like what we heard at the end of Revelation. Remember in Revelations at the end, remember when Satan came back that at the end of the war, God said, I'm gonna turn over all the flesh to the fowls of the to the fowls of the air and they're going to eat it this is exactly the same language that we see in the book of revelation we see it twice in the to in verse i think it's chapter 17 and 18 in revelation we see that same language and you know many people we talked about this when we went through the book of revelations many people think that it's going to be a big physical battle with lots of humans battling each other and it's going to be a bloodbath but look at what he says he said, um, he said in, in verse 48, he said, um, no, in verse 47, 47, he said, And all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth, what? Not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Remember in the book of Revelations, we, show, we showed you, we pointed out that it actually says that the Lord is going to speak and the enemy will be defeated. So I said at the beginning of the service, you know, they thought Jesus was coming to take down a physical army. Uh, but no, he was dealing with the spirit realm. And here again, he's dealing with the spirit realm. Yes, Goliath was a real man. Yes, he was a real giant. Yes, David was a real boy. Yes, David took him down. But it's a type and shadow of what happens in the spirit. And it's, and it's all God. It's all God. God handles every bit of it. Just read just a little bit more because you're going to see just, a, I know we're right here at time, and I, I, but we got to get this finished now, off. Now, this, also David was bringing correction to the Israelites. Yeah, he was. Because he says that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now, he's talking about the Israelites who for 40 days and 40 nights have been fleeing. That's right. And forgetting their God. That's right. And then he says, and all this assembly, meaning both armies, yep. shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. Meaning, you guys have your faith in your sword and spear. I have my faith in my God. The other thing that he's correcting, too, is remember, it had, it had been rumored about throughout Israel that Samuel had anointed David to be king. And that God had rejected Saul. So it was rumored through Israel that God was no longer with Israel. And David said, no, with this victory, you're going to know that God is still with his people. Let me tell you what, the shaking that's fixing to occur, yeah, the world's going to be shaken. But when they're shaken, the world will also know that God is still with his people. This is why it's critical that we get in place. Amen. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you under our hands. And it shall come to pass when the Philistine, and it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence 
a stone and slang it. He took a one, he took one revelation from God, and he slang it at and, the demon and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stones that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. Now we know there's no way that a boy has enough physical ability to sling. I don't care how good of he is with a slingshot, and you can do some big damage with a slingshot, but there's no way. That a boy, uh, 12, 13 years old, somewhere in there, 14, somewhere in there, there's no way that he is, has enough strength to sling that rock at this Philistine's head to penetrate the brass of his helmet and the stone to stick in the helmet in the bone of his forehead deep enough that it killed him. And, and the only way that force worked is through the power of God. And honestly, no man could have done this. The, 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 helmets that he, the helmet that he wore was made out of solid brass, and it weighed like 15, 20 pounds. Yeah. It had a nose guard that came down and covered his nose so that his nose wouldn't be broken. So for a stone to penetrate the helmet and sink into his skull would have taken an astronomical amount of force. And a lot of these helmets were lined with, with thick leather from animals. So would, if he had one of these prestigious helmets, which he probably did for comfort, it probably was brass on the outside and leather on the inside, which would have been another covering that he would have had to deal with. So this is, there's no way but through God. Absolutely. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Now, when we read about Goliath, it never mentioned that he had a sword strapped to his side. So there's more weight. There's more weight. He's now carrying over 300 pounds. And his sword was, was big enough to chop off his head. Now, how much do you know? The anointing. How much do you know? David. Can you imagine David trying to pick up Goliath's sword and use it functionally that he actually cut off? I don't think David stood there and went, <coughs> I don't think that was the case. I think the power of God was so thick on him, the anointing was so thick on him, that he ran over there, he grabbed that sword, and he went whoosh, and his head came off. I think it was just that fast. And that would explain the, the next line where it says... Uh, uh, oh, and when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Yeah. If you saw a little guy grab that sword, and poof, you'd know there wasn't any chance for you. Yeah. Uh-uh. No. But look at what happens with their... So all the Philistines leave. So when you, when, you, when you deal with the one big demon that's dealing in your life, guess what the little demons are going to do? We out. We gone. Got to go. Mm-mm. Don't mess with them. This leads to God making your name famous in the spirit, which is a promise. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until they come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. 
Now the Philistines are ready for battle. Now the, the, I mean the Israelites. Now the Israelites are ready to go after the Philistines. Now the Israelites are like, oh, 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 God's with you? Ooh, God's with us? Ooh, okay, let's go. Come on, let's go. How much do you know when you start to see the power of God flow? You're like, I'm in. Come on. And the wounded of the Philistine fell down by the way to Sherem, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. Are we going on? Yeah, just, just, we'll just finish off the chapter. Okay. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul livest, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Here's David. He's carrying around Goliath's head. He's carrying Goliath's head around with him. He's like, yep, here's his head. Here's his head. Here's his head. But I do want to point out one thing right here. Notice Saul knew exactly who, we know that Saul knows who David is because David would play the guitar, would play the harp for him, would play the harp for him. He even sent to Jesse time and time again for David to come and play the harp. See, when you serve Satan, you will lose your mind. Saul was losing his mind. He knew exactly who he was, but he couldn't remember. It doesn't pay to serve the devil, but it does pay to serve God. Amen. And when you serve God, you're anointed to overcome. You're anointed to overcome. Well, glory to God. Oh, it's been such a good, good word. I'm, I preach myself happy. I'm excited. I go back and read this about six more times. And every time I read it, I get something more out of it. We reread it last night. I said, man, there's so much in there. I said, Michael, hold on. I gotta, hold on. I need to underline more stuff. Oh, my goodness, it's so good. You want to bless the tithes and the offering? Oh, yes, Lord. We thank you for this day, and we thank you for this word that you've sowed in, into our hearts and into our lives. Lord, we, we know that, that uh, we will meditate on this word through the week and that it will grow and bear fruit in our lives and the lives Derek, of those we come in contact with. Derek's coming. Oh, Derek's coming. Okay. <laughs> and, Lord, we just ask that you bless this offering, that it go further than we could ever ask, hope, or think towards the doing of your work and your will here on this earth. Lord, we, we, we know that you will bless us and that you will return unto us, uh, pressed down, shaken together, more than we could ever ask, hope, or thank, so that we can be a bigger blessing unto your kingdom. Thank Lord, you, we, we, we know that you have given us the right to rebuke the devourer, and we do so in Jesus' name. Yes. Satan, we rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You cannot come to steal, kill, and destroy. We are forearmed and forewarned, and we will stand against you till the end of time. Yes. Thank you, so you must flee in the name of Jesus. Yes, thank you, Father. Ministering angels, go. Cause an increase to come in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we thank you that your word is true. Your word is working. Amen and amen. Derek, you can serve.